Good morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Raya, um, and I'm really happy to be um, reading the passage today. Um, so if you guys don't, anyone doesn't have a Bible, there's some at the back there. Um, you can feel free to keep that if you wish. So our passage today, I'll be reading from Acts 28 verses 11 to 31. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on, in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods, Caesar and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Re Regium. The next day, the south wind came up and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them and so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to leave um, by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors. I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open there to Acts chapter 28. I can't believe it. We're sort of in our last week. It's taken 10 weeks, but how good it is to be here at the end. We've, we, we haven't done a in-depth look at the book of Acts. We've sort of taken more of a zoomed out picture because we really wanted to get an understanding that as we make disciples of Jesus, that actually the gospel is unstoppable. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us this morning as we come to this passage. Almighty God, we pray now 
that you will teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom and to live in this moment. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The story hasn't ended. The song isn't over. Do you, do, do you like things to be resolved? And do, you, do you like sitting in the tension or are you like, no, I need this problem to be resolved? And so you've got to, tomorrow you wake up and you find yourself with a, with a phone bill, it's, it's miscredited and you know that it's wrong and so all day you want to resolve this problem and so all day you're living in this tension so you can make that phone call at lunch to resolve that problem. Or maybe, have you ever had that moment, that tension where you and your boyfriend or your spouse or your girlfriend, and, and, and you've had a bit, of a, a bit of a disagreement, and there's that tension that resolves or goes around for a while, and you just want that tension to be resolved. Do you go through life wanting things to be resolved? In music, have you ever noticed that um, sometimes some musicians, they don't always resolve the music? You're left there listening to a song and the way in which they finish the song makes you think the song's not over. You can use notes in a way that make you realise the song's concluded or the song hasn't ended. You know, you can go from a minor chord to a major to say, hey, we're finished. You know that at church, you know when to sit down because the right chord is hit. But when a minor chord's hit, you're like, what am I meant to do? And you're left with this tension because the song isn't over. But what about TV shows? Now, movies, I love movies because they're over in two hours and the plot line's finished. But when you get, you know, if, you, if you're on the Netflix and you get caught up in a TV series, the people who write them know how to create tension so that it's not resolved. You know, maybe you're caught up in Stranger Things. Maybe you're watching The Crown. Maybe you're watching Drive to Survive. And they just know how to write the story plot that at the end of that episode, you're left with it unresolved with the story not ending so that you want to watch the next series. And before long, it's 1 a.m. in the morning, you've watched five series because you want it resolved and you can't go to bed without it being resolved. And the little sign comes up on the bottom, play next episode. And before it's even got to the end of the play next episode, you've hit it. Because you want that resolution. And so you wake up the next day going, I wish I hadn't done that. And all day at work, you want that TV series to be resolved. And so at lunchtime, you get the phone out and you sneak half an hour in of your favorite episode. You get home. And your wife's annoyed because you've jumped ahead in the TV series. You know, there's that, they, they just know how to keep you hooked in because we don't like living in tension. The story hasn't ended. And I reckon Acts chapter 26 tells us that the, tells us that the song isn't over. <coughs> that the story hasn't ended. It's not finished yet. You get to the end of Acts chapter 28 and you think... That's an unusual way to end. You've got this sort of tension going, I want to look at Acts chapter 29. Grab your Bibles and look at Acts chapter 29 verse 1 now to see the next chapter. <coughs> Acts 29 is not there. Because you've got this tension that you want resolved. Now, is this a mistake by Luke, the author of um, Acts? Like, has he just sort of got to the end of a tiring day and he's, he's run out of ink and parchment and he, just, he goes off and says, I'm not going to finish it. Or is there other time, or has he just gone, <clears throat> he's walked off to make a cup of coffee and he's completely forgotten that he's writing the book of Acts? 
Now, if we know anything about Luke, he's a doctor, he's a historian, and he goes to great details and lengths to tell the story in a way so that you listen and believe it and know that it's history. And so it isn't, it isn't to take us by surprise the way the book of Acts has ended. He's actually ended it in a way for you to realize the story hasn't finished and that the song isn't over. The last word, <coughs> without hindrance, the last Greek word in the book of Acts is an adverb, not a noun. He finishes it without hindrance because the song isn't over. The story hasn't ended. So the book of Acts wants to leave us with incredible confidence that the gospel is unstoppable. That in chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm growing my kingdom. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to rule and reign from the throne room of God. How are you going to grow my kingdom? You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples head on out. And really, the book of Acts traces that story. But there's this couple of key themes that keep repeating over and over as segments in the book, as they get to Judea, as they get to Samaria, as they get to Europe. These statements in Acts 6, Acts 9, Acts 12, Acts 16, Acts 19, did you notice there it says, the word of God spread? It increased in numbers. The word of God spread. The church grew in daily in numbers. The word spread. Over and over, Luke wants you to realize that the word of God spread, that the gospel is going out and nothing is going to stop it. And we're left with one adverb at the end of this book that says, without hindrance. The gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be hindered or held back despite our chains or our circumstances because the story hasn't ended the song isn't over. And so today I'm going to ask a question that, what does Paul do in Acts chapter 28? Acts chapter 27 and 28, how does Paul use this moment? How does he use this moment in a way that will help us know how to use our moment? How does he use this moment as he finds himself arrested, <clears throat> even though he's under house arrest? Well, there's two things. The first thing is that he carefully proclaims Christ. As he's in this moment, in this situation, he's in Rome, he's finally got there. Look there at verse 17. Well, verse 11 to 16 tells us that he's got there, they've finally got there, the brothers welcome him, there's a chat. And verse 17, three days later. Now, obviously, he's got a bit of jet lag. <clears throat> he's been traveling around the world, and you can imagine, I don't know, maybe he's eaten too much um, Coke and coffee and cake on the ship as he's headed over to, to Rome. But he needs three days to recover. Now, I need three weeks with jet lag, but Paul obviously just needs three days to recover. And off he goes. He calls the Jewish people, and he tells them, I'm here, I'm not here to cause you troubles, I'm not here to bring allegations against you, I'm actually here for one reason, I'm here to tell you the hope of Israel, which is the good news of Jesus. So he comes and he, and he preaches Jesus. Verse 23, in verses, in verses 19 and 20 and 21, he's telling them why he's here, he's telling them I'm not here to cause problems, they want him to speak, and so he shares about Jesus carefully. Verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from, now catch this out, like some of us complain at 20 minutes. We think, ah, oh, you know, but Paul has got the most important story to tell. And so from morning till evening, he explains to them about the kingdom of God what we notice in chapter 28, there's two things. He explains about the kingdom of God and he preaches Christ. He witnessed to them at the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He's showing them, trying to persuade them that Jesus is pointing to this, that the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. 
and he preached Christ. Did you see that verse 23? <coughs> verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over again, he, he teaches carefully about this. See, the kingdom of God is to preach about Christ. Christ is the king of that kingdom. Christ is the ruler of that kingdom. He rules the hearts of the people of that kingdom. He's the one who brings the people into that kingdom who are his through his life, death, and resurrection. And basically what he's saying is that he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, if we are to read the Old Testament and prophets void of seeing how they point to Jesus, we miss the point. Now, in this moment, he's trying to show them and argue to them, you know all these prophecies, you know all these stories, Genesis 12 and the whole Old Testament. He says, hey, it's about Jesus. You've missed it. It's all about Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke, Jesus on his road to, to Emmaus encounters the disciples. And what's he do? He shows them how everything in the Old Testament points to him. Here, Paul in the final chapter of Acts shows how the Old Testament and the prophets point to Jesus. Now, the story of David and Goliath isn't about you slaying the giants in your life. It's not about you picking up the five stones and naming them five things that you can throw at the things that are causing your world to be havoc. That's not the point of that story. It's not about you, it's actually about God. The need for a king, the one who would come and slay evil, have victory over sin and death. And he engages and he tries to explain and persuade. Some listen, others believe, others leave. And, and I think in a way what Acts over again and again, even in last week's passage in Acts chapter 26, which we didn't go there, over and over again, there's one single message of the Bible and it's about Jesus. It's one single point. It's about Jesus. Now, then we're left with this unresolved story, the song that isn't over in verse 31. It ends with Paul. We know he's, he's a soldier. So he's got a soldier who's guarding him. And it ends in verse 31. It's like this tension that's not over. You know, I find myself asking these questions. What kind of house was he in? What was the paint scheme? What was the food he ate? What was the guards like? You know, did he get to like did he get to Nero? I sort of start to ask, how did he die? You know, I start to ask all these questions at Acts 28, and, and they're all questions about Paul. But Luke's saying it's actually not about Paul. See, but my tendency is that the hero of the story is us. But Luke's saying the hero of the story isn't Paul. The reason we think it is because of just, it's sort of our, just our nature that after reading 24, 25, 26, 27, and there's this character, Paul, we start to think that it's all about Paul. But it's not. It's, a, it's not about, the, about Paul. It's about the hero, Jesus. See, the book of Acts is all about Jesus. He's the hero. Remember, Paul, he says, Give me one thing, I'm going to preach Christ crucified. See, the book of Acts is about what Jesus is doing through his empowered people. That he's ruling and reigning. Paul's like, I want to preach the hero of the story. Do you preach the hero of the story? Do you preach Christ crucified? Or do we find yourself, whether it's, I'm not talking about teaching at the front, but maybe it's in kids' church. Maybe it's as you, 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 you 
disciple your grandkids or you're involved in your kids' life or is in your life group? Do, do you find yourself preaching self-help advice or do we preach Christ? Do we preach, or do we preach we can do it all or Christ has done it all? Do we turn the stories in the Bible into moral examples to bring up our kids into line and submission or do we present them with the majesty and the glory and the supremacy of who Christ was and whom those scriptures were pointing to, showing that we could never live this out and there was only one who could live the life we could not live? Do we give them a splendid picture of the resurrected King? And in this moment, as the book of Acts comes to an end, or think we comes to an end, what does Paul do? I think we see that he... he he carefully preaches Christ, but at the same time, secondly, he faithfully persists in the task of doing that. He faithfully persists. Now, Acts 28 comes after Acts chapter 27. And I think Acts chapter 27 and 28 helps realign all of us and helps us get a better picture of the, of the providence and the guidance of God in our lives and the sovereignty. Acts chapter 27 is really like God's in control. Acts chapter 28, Paul does things. Acts chapter 28, God's in control. Like there's, there's this tension here, but it also helps us realign our views and our opinions on how God guides our lives. Because see, following Jesus doesn't mean life won't disappoint us. Following Jesus does not mean that you're not going to get sick. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you won't go through life without any setbacks. Following Jesus probably means that, yes, there are going to be obstacles and setbacks in your life now. And yet Acts says, no, Jesus is with you. He sent his spirit. And so as the storms of life hit you, as the obstacles come your way, Paul persisted in sharing and resting in Christ. As the storms hit us, do we get aggressive and fight our way through it? But in a way, what we see is Paul is in change and he just shares. Now, I just want to take a side note for one moment. There's this notion, I don't know whether you, and it's Christians, we have jargon that we use and we catch the language of. And have you ever heard the language of God opens and closes doors? So, you know, we, it's, we use it to try and be helpful by going, here's an open door in which you should walk through and here's a door that God's closing. And often, from my experience, the way that we work out whether something's an open door or a closed door, there's a couple of ways. One of them is it's a gut feeling. You go home and pray about it and you wake up the next morning and say, I'm in a pretty good spirit about this. I feel good. So I'm going to go through that open door. Now, if I wake up and I don't feel good, oh, it mustn't be from God and so I won't, it's a closed door. That's one way. Another way sometimes we think about the open and closed door is, well, it's ease and comfort, right? The situation, that seems the easier way. It's going to bring me more comfort, more ease, less obstacles, and therefore that must be an open door given by God. And then if there are obstacles and it's going to be harder, we don't go through that door. That's a closed door. Now, I've used that. Kind of, we sometimes wrestle with that. I actually think Acts 27 and 28 realigns us on that. It debunks that false presupposition. Because have you noticed chapter 27 comes before chapter 28? Have you noticed what comes in front of Paul over and over again? A storm. He's shipwrecked. He turns up the Malta Islands. He's, he's in China. Like he's, he gets bitten by a snake. Like 
everything that comes his way, if we went with the view, that's too hard, we wouldn't go that way. And yet it was the hardest route of all. And he persisted. Go back to Acts chapter 16. Remember a couple of weeks ago, the transformation of Lydia, the jailer and the slave girl. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are sitting in a jail. An earthquake happens. Their chains come off. The doors come open. Now, if we're an open, closed door policy kind of person, that's an open door to walk out, isn't it? God's just brought an earthquake. The chains have fallen off. The doors are open. Surely that's what we walk through, isn't it? And what does Paul and Silas do? They stay. If they'd walked through that open door, that jailer would have been killed and went to hell. See, in Acts 16, I think it's really helpful. It it talks about how the Spirit was working in them. They could tell that they were meant to go here, they were meant to go to Macedonia. But Acts chapter 16 gives us this incredible insight in verse 10, I think it is. Plural, they concluded together as a gospel community, that's where they were meant to go. The Spirit's at work, but they were bold enough, as RJ said a couple of weeks ago, hey, we as a group of community of Christians, we've gone, yep, that is where we're meant to go, and they decide. If you go home isolated on your own, and you say, hey, I think this is where God's leading me, and you're never confined to the gospel community of God's people, you may end up walking through an open door that you shouldn't walk through. Now, maybe, you know, like in Acts chapter 16, it isn't, it isn't the open door you need to walk through. Sometimes you need to persist to walk through the closed door. See, if the early church had a notion of that kind of open door that sometimes we have, the gospel would never have got to Rome. And people wouldn't have been saved. The gospel wouldn't have been preached. But we have each other, don't we? We have the spirit that's in us, who's present. And and why can Paul persist? Why does he persist despite the setback after setback after setback? Because he knows that God is faithful to his promises. He's seen, he's heard that Jesus has met him on the road to Damascus. Here's what the prophets tell us. And he's gone, wow, if God said this in the Old Testament, and this has come true in Jesus, how much more faithful can I be trusting that even though I'm in chains, the gospel will go out? Now, put yourselves here in a moment in Paul's shoes. Well, let's go from a 21st century Australia and let's put ourselves in the the world of Paul, in the church. He, like, his career is incredible once he's saved. He's like this popular itinerant ministry. He goes to Ephesus, he goes to Corinth, he goes to Athens, he goes into, like, he has a, you know, city, there's all these places where as he preaches, people are saved Churches are planted, churches are established. Like, he's not that kind of guy you go, he's a big wig, and you know, like, we'd be, we'd be discussing after, we need to get him here. We need to get him to Western Sydney. We need to get him here to preach. He's our man. Look at the success he's having. Human wisdom will say, we need to keep this man on the road. And we need to give him speaking gig after speaking gig. But remember, Paul's not the man. But it's the power of the gospel. See, the moment isn't Paul's. The moment's Jesus. Now, now picture this. When we get to the end of Acts, 
Paul's probably been in chains for nearly five years. Two years in Caesarea, a six-month boat trip, and two years in Rome. Now, that sounds bad, doesn't it? You think that, that, isn't, that a, isn't that a hindrance? Isn't that, isn't that stopping disciples being made to think that he's in chains? And yet, some of the most Christocentric writings, the most incredible writings on the person and work of Jesus and who he is, and what he's done, that he's made in the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn among all creation. And through him and by him and for him, all things are being created. All things are being reconciled on his feet. That was written while Paul was in chains. Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians. You know, we might say in Australian context, they were wasted years. They were years of discomfort and suffering and trials. And yet they were never wasted. Have a look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident. Right? Not only are people in the palace guard coming to know Jesus, Christians are being encouraged because he's in chains and they're becoming more confident and daring to do more because of what God is doing. See, Paul, because of this situation that appears to have been a waste, he finds himself standing in some of the most powerful courtrooms in the world. And I think he probably did end up in front of Nero. But it it would not have been possible if he hadn't gone through the chains. You know, in in, in Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says to Timothy, right, and, and, and even I think it's even before, even after, he says, everyone's deserted me, but Christ is with me. He says, this is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Right, so he, he got the chains on. He's, suff- he's not saying it's easy. He's not, he's not just sort of saying, suck it up. No, no, he, he's really feeling it. Even though I'm chained like this, like a criminal, God's word is not chained. You know, my situation may seem terrible, but actually, the, the word of God isn't chained. I may be in chains, I may be hindered, but actually, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, it's not hindered. See, Joni um, Erickson Tata, at the age of 17, you know, she, her life was in front of her. She's a young girl, a young woman, to, you know, to go to college and, and get a career and, and do wonderful things in life. And at the age of 17, she jumped into a lake, she broke her neck and was paralyzed from the neck down. And she wrote this, like, you know, <laughs> that would sound like a wasted situation. And here's what she writes. Few of us have the luxury. It took me forever to think of it as that. Do you see what she's saying? It's a luxury for me to be in my position to come to ground zero with God. Before the accident, my questions had always been, how will God fit into this situation? How will he be affecting my dating life, my career plans, the things I enjoy? All these options were gone. It was me, just a helpless body and God. I had no other identity but God, and gradually he became enough. 
I became overwhelmed with the phenomenon of the personal God who created the universe, living in my life. He would make me attractive and worthwhile. Maybe God's gift to me is my dependence on Him. I will never reach the place where I'm self-sufficient, where God is crowded out of my life. I'm aware of His grace to me every moment. My need for help is obvious every day when I wake up. Why? Well, I'm flat on my back, waiting for someone to come and dress me. I can't even comb my hair or even blow my nose alone. But there's one more thing. I have hope for the future. She has hope of the resurrection. See, what, 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 what Joni Tata's saying, she's saying, hey, like, this seems like it was going to be a waste of life. And she said, but hey, God's used it. And I think if you know anything about her life, in fact, actually, <laughs> the way that she has encouraged and inspired people to follow Jesus because of what she's gone through would not have happened except for the state that she's in. See, the world can get turned upside down and yet the gospel goes out. That even through our difficult years, despite the setbacks, despite the circumstances that might be limited, the gospel is unchanged and can't be stopped. So which is really a reality because discipleship isn't easy. We want the easy pill. We want to just have someone say yes to Jesus and then that's it. But real discipleship is walking alongside people, faithfully persisting in sharing the good news of Jesus with Christians and with non-Christians. And it's not a persistence in our strength. It's in Christ's no matter our walk and our situation. And I think here we see in 27 and 28, we see that Paul just persists in any obstacle. He, pursue, he persists in preaching. I think he highlights how the early church just persisted carefully in having lives live out the gospel that carefully shared the gospel and showed Christ in all of Scripture. How does Paul live in the moment? I think, well, in a way, we see firstly he persistently proclaims, but he, sorry, he, he, he carefully proclaims Christ. He faithfully persists in the task. It was a moment given by God. But it leaves us thinking in the end of chapter 28 that the story hasn't ended. But the song isn't over. It leaves us going, what's going to happen next? And I think that's the beauty and the wonder. This is my opinion. I think it's the beauty and the wonder of the book of Acts. It's the beauty and the wonder of the way that Luke has written this inspired by the Holy Spirit. The beauty and the wonder is that Luke's saying to all of us here in the 21st century, he says, come and see that you're Acts chapter 29. You're invited. It's your moment now. The early church's moment has been, it's come it's gone and now it's your moment as followers of Jesus. It's our moment to bear witness to Jesus to the ends of the earth. So that's our final point really. It's, it's, it's our moment. It is our moment to be motivated by the gospel. See, it's our moment to faithfully persist in preaching Christ knowing that Jesus cannot be hindered or held back. In a way, it helps us to know that you're saved for this moment. You've been brought into this story. 
through Christ's life, death and resurrection. You've been brought into it because someone came and shared Jesus with you. It's our moment in history. It's our moment. The story hasn't ended. The song isn't over. It's our moment to make much of Jesus. It's our moment. And I I want to speak to two types of people possibly in the room this morning. It's it's our moment. But maybe you're, you're, you're the first person. Maybe you're here today and you're just really tired. You're wearisome. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're torn down. Maybe you're trodden. Maybe maybe you're just feeling like you're just overwhelmed by the state of this world. Maybe you're afraid to face tomorrow. Maybe you're worried about the political agendas. Whatever it might be, maybe you're that person right now who's got great anxiety and worry. And when you wake up every morning, you're like, is the world going to get any worse? How can we move on? I think Acts speaks to you. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3. It helps you go, I can trust that when Jesus says, I'm ruling and reigning from heaven, that I really am. That that you can trust that the gospel is unchained, unleashed and unstoppable. That it will change lives in this world. You can have confidence in that. It speaks to you to remind you that maybe you got caught down a rabbit warren of information and you're worried about how it's going to happen or that more people need to know about it and, and And yet he'd be reminded that Jesus is the king of the world. He knows everything. He knows everything before it happens. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing happens outside of his control. Jesus is in control. And the book of Acts shows you that that is true. That even the most powerful nation in the world, Rome, couldn't stand against him. And it's with those last words without hindrance that you need to hear. But others of you might need to hear the word hardened heart. Your heart's become hardened to the gospel. Like you come hardened to the ways of Jesus. See, verses 26 to 27 speaks of Isaiah 6. It tells us the time when God's people had hardened and calloused their hearts. They'd pushed against God. And it says they had, that they'd become hearts that were calloused. Now, I fixed cars for years, and so I used to have, you know, calluses, you know, you get calluses from wear and tear, and eventually you get to a point where you bust your knuckles and it doesn't really hurt because they're calloused. But now, right, 10 years in, I've got these beautiful soft hands. They're not calloused, bar I've got four fingers that are calloused. It's from decades of playing the guitar that they're just so calloused now that they're just hard and hardened that I can... I can put a pin in them, I can do anything. They're just hard, they're calloused. They don't feel anything, they don't know what's going on. And, and what this passage is, that's like our hearts. We can have hardened hearts that have become hardened. The heart is our soul, it's our will, it's the way in which we, it's all of our life and all of our meaning can become so hard to God. And I think there's a couple of ways. Maybe today you've become hard because you've become insensitive to God. See, in verses 21 to 22, they're happy to hear about Jesus, but they're insensitized to it. They don't want much with it. Maybe that's you. You're happy to be here. You're happy to hear about Jesus, but you don't want anything else with him. Or maybe you've become resistant to Jesus. You don't want Jesus to interfere or disrupt your life. You've got dreams of holidays and aspirations of careers. The Aussie dream. 
you're, you're living a lifestyle that doesn't conform with God's word, but you just don't want God, you don't want Jesus to disrupt your life. You don't want Jesus to disrupt your bank account, your career. You don't want him to disrupt your family that you want to succeed. You don't want him to disrupt your sexuality and your relationships. We can harden our hearts. Or most of all, I wonder whether in the room today, you've got a hardened heart because of self-righteousness. You've been coming to church for 40 years. You pray every morning. You read the scriptures. But in a sense, you've gone from being in grace to being hardened to go, actually, I'm a good person. I've turned up to church every week. You're a good person and so you, your heart becomes hardened to the things of Jesus. You sit in church and you hear the gospel preached, the gospel sung, and, and every Sunday you, you look around and you go, they need that more than me. A hardened heart. I wonder if that's you today. Where are you? Maybe you've got to do something with Jesus today. Because in him is life and hope. Because see, those three things can become our motivation, can't they? Right? Those three things, our self-righteousness, our resistance, our insensitivity can become our motivation for doing what we do. Whereas Paul's motivation, do you notice what Paul's motivation is? It's verse 20. I'm here I'm not here to cause you trouble. I'm not here to scores up anger. I'm not here to get you arrested. I'm here for one reason. I'm here for the hope of Israel. Which, what's that hope? That's the hope of Jesus, the Messiah, a king who would come and live and die and rise from the grave. That's the hope. Do you see what Paul's motivation is for being there? It is the hope driven by the grace of God that's found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 28 tells us today, therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. We can be confident today that insensitive, resistant and self-righteous people, they will hear the gospel, that some will hear it and some will be saved. Which reminds us, Acts chapter 8 reminds us that we're saved for this moment. You're saved for today. You're saved for this very moment. Now, you may not get your face on the front of a magazine. You may never get the fame. But what matters is Jesus. We may think that God's greatest works are something that have happened in the past. And when we do that, we make a big mistake. Don't worry and say, we just need another Billy Graham. Don't worry and say, we just need some more people like this of the past. No, no, God has got you here in this moment. He's put us here in Western Sydney. He put people like Paul in Rome while the other church stayed back in Colossae and Philippi and lived everyday lives sharing Jesus persistently. You're saved for this moment. You're saved for your street. You're saved for your workplace. To preach Christ, to persistently do that faithfully. See, we are saved for this moment, for this moment in history to make much of Jesus. That's our moment. That's our moment now because the story hasn't ended. The song isn't over. See, whether it's five years, whether it's three years, whether it's 10 years, 20 years time, we are going to be challenged to find other ways to reach the lost. We're going to find other challenges where we're going to believe that's going to happen through visuals. We're going to believe that's going to happen through having great experience. We're going to believe that, that we just need to move on, whereas actually the gospel is unstoppable. 
It's unhindered. And in Paul's final words to the elders at Ephesus, he says to them, and in his final, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I finish this race, which is a marathon. And what's the race? Testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He said, that's my task. That's what I'm given for. And that's our moment. Our moment is to testify to the gospel of God's grace in our lives. See, in 1912, a medical missionary, Dr. William Leslie, headed off to the Congo to, to share Jesus, to translate, and to see people come to Christ. But after 17 years of doing that, just slogging persistently, day after day after day, he left and he returned to the US. He returned a bit disgruntled, a bit discouraged, and just seeing no fruit. He died nine years later. But late last century people who went to investigate to find a new people group to reach they found in this Congo tribal village where Dr. William Leslie had been for 17 years what they came back and found reproducing churches reproducing churches throughout tribes choirs church buildings they had no idea the power of the gospel and what it did through those tribes and those villages even though, Wesley, Leslie, even though William Leslie was tired, he felt stopped at every front, even though he felt chained with no fruit, the gospel is unstoppable. And Acts 28 invites you and it invites me to ask the question, it is now your moment. It's now our moment in time. It invites us to see that the story hasn't ended, the song isn't over. It's not over until Jesus returns. So the book of Acts leads us on a triumphant note. Christ has won, the word of God has triumphed, it's unhindered, but not poor. He's still in chains, he's still a prisoner, but the gospel is unleashed, unhindered and unstoppable. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that we will learn to number our days so that we, may have it, that we may gain a heart of wisdom to live for you in this moment. Amen.